0: I'm Carla Nappi, and this is New Books in East Asian Studies. Welcome, and thanks very much for joining us. So, I just got off the Skype phone with Byung Hyun Choi, who just translated the Annals of King Taejo, founder of Korea's Joseon Dynasty, and this came out with the Harvard University Press in 2014. Now, I was really excited to talk with him, Um, and he was extraordinarily generous about um, making time to talk, navigating the time zones between Korea and Vancouver and the technology. Um, So it really was a treat to talk with him about this. And I'm excited about this book, and I'm excited about having had the chance to talk with him about it. So this is a book that is a translation of a major and very, very important um, Korean document into English, which I think... um, You'll hear more about the nature of this source and the nature of the time period that it covers in a little bit, but I think this is a really, really valuable resource, not just for historians, literary scholars, other kinds of scholars who might um, now have access to a primary source document that may not have been accessible um, in the original pre-modern Korean, but also it's a really great resource for teaching as well, Um, and so I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to kind of get the word out and explore a little bit of this uh, document that actually could potentially be um, excerpted or assigned in any number of kinds of classes in world history, East Asian history, um, etc., etc. So um, I hope you have a chance to take a look at it. It's a sizable volume, um, and it's really just Full of fascinating stuff on, you know, accounts of the weather, of clothing, of family dynamics, intrigue, architecture, urban history, domestic history. There are envoys that try to stab themselves. There's people getting drunk. There's animals all over the place. So it's it's full of um, really interesting stuff, and it's also a kind of in that way little mini archive um, all by itself. So it was really a pleasure um, to finally have a chance to talk to Hyun about it. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I hope you have a chance to get your hands on a copy of the book and check it out. And thanks, as always, for listening.
1: I'm here today to talk with Byung-hyun Choi about his recent translation, The Annals of King Taejo, founder of Korea's Chosung Dynasty. Thanks so much for being with me today um, here and welcome to New Books in East Asian Studies. It's really a pleasure and I'm thrilled that you're able to join me from such a far distance. So thanks very much for being here.
2: Yeah, thank you for your invitation.
1: So Hyun, can you start off as is traditional for the channel by saying just a little bit about yourself and your background and specifically what brought you to the field of Korean studies?
2: Uh, Well, I'm a professor and scholar of English literature by training and career. I have taught English and American Literature at Honam University in Gwangju, South Korea since early 1990s. In addition to translating Korean classics, uh, I am an award-winning writer and poet who published the books in Korean. Then you may want to know what made me translate Korean classics or, you might say, pre-modern Korean texts into English. Uh, Back in the late 1990s, I was in charge of American Studies Center at our our university as director. Uh, Then our center had a lecture program and we invited Dr. Gary Hearn, Mm -hmm. then president of Maryland University in Yongsan, Seoul. After the lecture, he and I talked about various things, including current American literature. During our conversation I had, I said that though I am currently engaged in promoting American literature, my true interest lied in Korean literature. The reason why I decided to study English literature was only to develop and advance Korean literature. Upon listening to what I said, Dr. Hunt immediately said he was at the moment looking for one who could teach Korean literature in his school, but having a difficulty to find the right person. To make sure that was the beginning of the whole thing, I mean, my enterprise and challenge of translating Korean classics, I taught a course titled Korean Literature in Translation, as well as American Literature at the same time on Saturdays while teaching at Honam in Gwangju. I enjoyed teaching American literature but had a very difficult time when it came to teaching Korean literature. The reason was that I was unable to find the proper Korean literature text translated into English. All I could find an anthology edited by Peter Lee, which I found too selective inadequate to introduce or in- instruct Korean literature as a whole. Having that problem, I was unable to give assignments or hold classroom discuss- discussion as I liked. Uh, To make it worse, I was constantly compelled to translate the text for my class if I wanted to teach what I wanted to teach, which was really hard. Besides, I found that all the good things worthy was, the, uh, was trans- introducing to the students were pre-modern texts, and trans- uh, translating them even a little was difficult because I had a little time for researches and all. It was really frustrating, and I felt the problem was really serious. Uh, the problem persisted when I taught Korean literature at UC Irvine as a Fulbright Scholar in 2000. To make sure. it short, Korean, uh, teaching Korean literature in Maryland, I found my mission as a Korean scholar of English literature. What my country, Korea, needed at the moment was not English or American literature, but the English translation of Korean classics, especially in the age of so-called globalization in which Korean waves, Korean popular culture of a younger generation began to emerge as a new force of our cultural identity and so forth.
1: So the book that we are here to talk about today is a translation specifically of the Annals of King Tejo. So can you talk a little bit about um, how you came to this particular project? How did you get involved in translating this text, and how is this situated within the broader context of your research, if at all?
2: Well, as I look at it, there are enough books written in English about Korea, and Korean history and literature, but very few books, particularly among pre-modern Korean classics, translated into English. Besides, those books written in English are mostly about Korean War or Korea's economy and so forth, so many Korean pre-modern texts worth reading are still unavailable to Western readers who cannot read the Korean language and classical Chinese. My long journey of translating Korean classics started right from there, the realization of this problem. For that reason, I felt that Korea and its culture were not only unknown, but largely misknown, to poet Thomas Carlyle. The English translation of the Annals of King Tejo in this context certainly will help the readers outside understand the old history of Korea along with China and Japan in a real sense.
1: Great, thank you so much. So the text, um, The Annals of King Taejo, represents an excerpt, so one part, of the veritable records of the Choson dynasty, a historical record that documents important events and historical developments from the first 472 years of the Joseon period in Korean history. So for listeners who aren't um, maybe so familiar with this source, the Veritable Records, um, can you talk about it a bit? How were the Veritable Records produced? What's important for us to know about that?
2: Uh, From the beginning, the Joseon dynasty established a system of making historical records on a daily basis. The system was not really new. In the previous Korea dynasty, there existed veritable records, though they were destroyed during the foreign invasions. However, in the new Joseon dynasty... Uh, making veritable records were more formally established from the start, both officially and systematically. So, institutionally, two junior officials from the office of a royal decree, we call Ye Munguan, were made to attend all the meetings between the king and his officials, whether they be private or public as well as the events and ceremonies that took place at the Royal court, And these historiographers, or chroniclers you may call, meticulously recorded what they witnessed. Uh, They basically wrote a brief summary in literary Chinese. What they recorded was called sacho, a preliminary draft of history, and it served later as the basic materials for compiling official history when the king passed away. Uh, When their drafts concerned the politically sensitive matters, they were allowed to keep them privately. Uh, at home, but they were required to submit them later when the annals of the deceased king were compiled. The drafts of history made by historiographers were submitted to the Bureau of State Records we call Chun at the end of the day, so that any attempt to later revise the drafts for private or political purposes could be prevented. Anyone who attempted to revise them was subject to death or lifelong exile, and the strict law was to safeguard the integrity of the records. This law was so strict that even uh, historiographers could not revise their own drafts of history once their drafts were submitted to the Bureau of State Records. Actually, there was an incident in early Choson in which officials were put to death and exiled from making such attempts. So, it was already a well-known taboo from the start to revise or read the drafts of history before the annals were published. And this injunction was strictly observed throughout the 500-year-old Choson history. Uh, once the king passed away, an ad hoc annals compilation bureau, we call Sillok was established, and a score of officials selected from various departments, who are all learned and good at writing, started working on the annals of the deceased king collecting materials, including satchel drafts and other records. It normally took a few years to finish, but sometimes much longer when those materials were destroyed due to rebellions and disturbances. What was interesting is that once the official annals were completed, the drafts collected for them were destroyed in a ceremony called the satchel, which means washing the drafts clean with water, and then they dried Wash the papers for using them again. Hmm,
1: That's really interesting. So, what makes these veritable records so useful for historians? Why are they so important for historians?
2: Uh, Useful, uh, well, in many ways it can be useful, but uh, uh, first of all, I would like to talk about the reliability. Uh, uh, if, if I may.
1: Certainly, and, and they're actually part of the same issue. So yeah, it we can has just to yeah. Right. yeah, let's just move okay. right to reliability.
2: Yeah, I would say Korean veritable records are pretty reliable compared to those of Ming and Qing China. It is well known that Emperor Yongle of Ming China revised the annals at least twice. To justify his usurpation of the throne from his nephew. This sort of thing never happened in the case of a chosen Korea and its historical records. It's true that the annals of individual kings were once in a while influenced by factionalism. The prominent case is the annals of a King Sonjo. Uh, they uh, exist two versions of veritable records one is the annals of a King jo, uh, Sonjo, and the other. Revised Annals of King Sanjo, we call Sanjo Sujong Shiloh. King Sanjo was a monarch responsible for the Imjin War, the unprecedented catastrophe in the nation's history. The original annals of King Sunjo was compiled during the reign of King Gwanghae, who, su- who succeeded King Sonjo, and the northern faction, uh, now in power. I mean, during the reign of King Gwanghae, was uh, naturally critical of the westerners and southerners who played major roles during the reign of King Sanjo and the Imjin War. However, as Egon was dethroned later by King Injo and the westerners, there was general opinion that the annals of King Sonjo need to be revised because the northerners in compiling the annals were unfairly critical of the westerners. As a result, the revised annals of King Sanja, much shorter than the original annals of King Sanja, finally came out during the reign of King Hyojong, who succeeded King Injo. However, you should know that the Westerners did not destroy the annals of King Sanja. Instead of destroying them, they made the revised version separately so that the posterity can judge the both texts on their own. This is the reason why I said that the veritable records of the Joseon dynasty are reliable. You. Uh, you asked about uh, the, how useful uh, the, these records are can be used by historians, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't know how to answer your question because I'm not a historian and had no time to investigate that. However, I can say this. As I observe, the uh, historical records like Veritable Records have been used more frequently and in an exciting way by the writers and producers of historical dramas and movies in recent years. Uh, in the U.S., you seldom watch historical dramas on TV. Here in Korea, historical dramas are on TV all the time. Oh, uh,
1: We have historical dramas. Ooh, oh, we, <laughs> we, we do, uh, we do.
2: Uh, well, we sorry, have a story. Have, the Tudors, the Borges.
1: No, no, no. We just want to plug for some, you know, scandalous mm-hmm. historical dramas about the Tudors and the Borgias, but anyway.
2: Oh, oh yeah, going. that I know, but the, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm making comparison sure. in general. Sure, sure, yeah. Now, many movies based on history are extremely popular. For instance, last year alone, TV drama Chongdojun was a hit, the most famous scholar that comes out in the annals of King Tejo. Movie Myongyang, which featured Admiral Yi Sun Shin at the naval battle of Mengyang, was a blockbuster uh, last year alone. So the usefulness of the veritable records appears to be limitless. Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as this annals of King Tejo and uh, other veritable records are concerned. Mm
1: -hmm. So let's uh, move from the veritable records more generally and start talking specifically about um, the annals of this particular figure. So for listeners who are not familiar with King Tejo, uh, can you briefly explain kind of who he was. Now, I know that's a very broad question, but um, for listeners who might be interested in what you think are some of the most important things um, about this figure that merits a a, translation of these panels, can you maybe uh, speak a little bit about that?
2: Uh, Okay, let me give it a try. Uh, King Tezo is the founder and the first king of the Chosun dynasty. The... Uh, predecessor of modern Korea, Joseon dynasty is. His name is Yi Sung-gye, and he was a military general during the Korea dynasty, a war hero nationally recognized for his military success and outstanding leadership. And at the end of his distinguished career, he finally overthrew Korea in 1392, and with the support of a new literati and army generals who followed him founded a new dynasty called Chosun, which lasted until early 20th century. The time he lived was when the Yuan Empire was in decline and the Ming Dynasty, which was founded and ruled by Chu Yuanzhong, later Ming Taichu, uh, was on the rise. The Korea Court, which was also in a bad shape due to the frequent foreign invasions and intermarriage with the royal family of Yuan, was divided between pro yuan faction and pro-Ming faction. Yi song led the pro-Ming faction while his rival, General Che Yong led a pro-Yuan faction. What happened was, in 1388, when the Ming government demanded the return of the significant portion of the Korea's northern territory, General Che Yong and King Wu were outraged and ordered Yi Songye to immediately attack Liaodong, China, crossing the Yalu River. Believing that the invasion of China had no chance to succeed, Yi Song tried to persuade Cheong and king Un not to launch an attack, but without success. So, he led the army up to the Yalu River, but due to the bad weather and rainy season, combined with a flood at the river, he finally turned around to march back home. The Yalu was his uh, Rubicon, so to speak, but unlike Sija, his decision not to cross the Yalu was his declaration of war against the Korea dynasty. Upon returning, he defeated General Cheong and dethroned King Wu. Nevertheless, he did not ascend the throne right away. He made Chang, the son of King Wu, succeed his father as a new king. However, both King Chang and his father, former King Wu, were soon found to have conspired to regain their power. And being guilty, they were exiled and put to death eventually. Then, Isangge had a member of the royal Wang clan crowned as the new king, and that is the King Kongyang. King Kongyang's reign had to be brief due to the hidden conflicts between him and Isangge, and on the fourth year of his reign, King Kongyang was forced to abdicate the throne for Isangge. Well, uh, but uh, yeah, it's too long to rehearse all uh, what comes later. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. yeah, if you have a further question, I will answer that. So
1: the text itself, um, as you tell us in the um, introductory materials to the book, was compiled in 1409, and it was completed in 1413. So why, is there anything about this particular period, right, that makes this source such an important source to translate?
2: Well, uh, millions of foreign tourists visit Seoul every year, but they mostly don't know who made this great capital and all the royal palaces they visited. If Korea dynasty continued to exist, I guess in modern Korea it would turn out to be quite different. Korea used to be a Buddhist country. After Choson replaced it, it became a Confucian state. People need to know that all these changes started with the reign of King Tejo. By translating his annals into English, I wanted to let the people outside, visitors and tourists and readers, know about important aspects of the Korean history, along with the histories of its neighbors, China and Japan, in the late 15th century. Uh, the veritable records of the Joseon Dynasty, along with other historical records such as uh, diaries of the Royal secretary, we call Wan Ergi, and Diary of Self Examination, all written by the kings themselves, is registered in the UNESCO's Memory of the World since 1997. These records, being so voluminous, have never been translated in, into English. I want to let the people across the world know about the existence of these historical records which can be interesting to them for various reasons.
1: Along those lines, uh, and, and thank you very much for that, in your opinion, what kinds of historians or historians or you know, other scholars working on what kinds of historical topics might uh, most benefit from working with this translation?
2: If historians are interested in finding out how Joseon Korea started, who the major figures in that transition period were, and what their success or failure was, how Joseon society or political system looked like at that time, how the nation's capital moved from Kaesong in North Korea to modern Seoul, what was the city plan and the vision of the bureaucrats of the early Joseon, etc., I believe the arrows of King Tejo can be used.
1: Wonderful, thank you. So it strikes me on reading this, um, as somebody who teaches the history of East Asia um, and teaches global history, among other things, that this translation is also going to be potentially a very, very useful resource for teaching. And this is, and in fact, you know, in our, in the beginning of our conversation, Um, You mentioned the importance of a concern with teaching and the availability of texts for teaching as being, you know, one of the um, forces that motivated you to work on um, translating um, these kinds of texts in the first place. So my question is, have you had experience using this text um, in a teaching context, um, either with undergraduate students or graduate students? And if so, or, you know, or even if not, um, what have you found to be, or what might you imagine might be uh, some mo- of the most useful ways of using this text um, as a teaching resource in the classroom?
2: Well, so far, I haven't had a chance to teach Korean history using the Annals of a King Taejo as a textbook. Remember, I'm a professor of English Literature.
1: Of course.
2: <laughs> but in the future, I guess, I may be able to use it if I am given a chance. Uh, since the book contains a multitude of information and materials regarding Korean history and culture, I'm sure it can be useful for teaching and many other purposes. All other books I translated, the book of corrections, admonition and governing the people, all those books are now currently are used as textbooks, uh, in the U.S. and other parts of the, uh, the world. Uh, but the, uh, uh, I'm sure that this uh, this text, uh, The errors of a King Tantra, will be uh, used in the future in the classroom. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh-huh. Certainly. And, and I think um, just before we'll, we'll move on to more questions, I'll just note, um, as a reader of the text, that I think the book could be potentially very useful. Um, certainly in history classrooms, but also beyond history classrooms. I mean, I can imagine um, world literature classrooms as well uh, using all or part of the text, and there's some really, really interesting material in here on weather and animals, architecture, family history, medicine, Um, there's accounts of omens, there's stories, there's uh, one story of his envoy who gets really drunk and threatens to stab himself. I mean, there's all kinds of really wonderful material. So I can imagine that one doesn't probably have to be a history professor or teaching a course that's history per se or Korean history um, in order to make use of this as a, a an example of a, a, a literary text even, um, kind of annals as literature, I think would be really interesting. But let's um, move on to talking about your experience as a translator. So from the perspective of translation, and this is something you have an illustrious career, right, in doing, this is something you have a just a, a ton of experience with. For you, what are some of the most notable um, features of this text, the the features of the text that you might think are worthy of discussion from the perspective of translation. So as a translator, Mm -hmm. what are some of the most interesting features of this text for you?
2: Well, earlier I said I found my mission as a Korean uh, scholar who studied and taught English literature, and the mission was translating pre-modern Korean texts into English. I feel like I am called to do this work because it has to be done no matter how difficult it is. I happen to be one of the first scholars who seriously attempted to translate Korean classics into English, publishing them all through the renowned university presses in the U.S. <clears throat>
1: Great, and so as a um, so as a translator, I and mean, uh, as you have just described yourself, right, a renowned translator. What were some of the most challenging aspects of the translation for you? Were there any elements of this text that you found particularly challenging to translate? And if so, can you talk um, a little bit about? That?
2: Well, the pre-modern Korean texts, you know, were mostly written in literary Chinese. I did not major Chinese language. My field of study is English literature by education and training. So I have to consult the Korean translations as well as experts if I want to fully understand some difficult parts in the source text. Besides, I I had no one to help me in my researches because the researches I needed were too difficult for them. So I had to do the researches all on my own while teaching and carrying out various duties at the school. So each text took me six years, ten years, even in the case of the annals of King Tejo, four years. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Were there any... um, So aside from... um, Korean translations, as you've mentioned, of the texts that you found useful in translating this pre-modern text, were there any other um, resources, or what were some of the most uh, important resources, aside from that, if if any, um, that you worked with in producing this translation?
2: Oh... Uh... Let me say this, the, the complete the Hangul translation of the veritable records, including the Annals of King Techu, came out in the early 1990s. That was the work of more than two decades by a host of scholars who majored the classical Chinese. In addition to reading the source text for my translation, I consulted two versions, one translated by the scholars in in North Korea and the other by the scholars in South Korea. Two versions each had a strengths and weakness. Uh, the translation by Northern, uh, North Korean scholars were fluent, but they provided no annotation, glossary, and so forth, and therefore often difficult to translate when it came to certain important terminology or ideas. When I used them, I always had to go back to the source text written in classical Chinese to make sure what the translation says is correct. Translation by South Korean scholars on the other hand was too literal, so the translation doesn't appear to be a full translation or a half translation. Furthermore, there were many, many mistranslations of the source text, so I had to be careful and do researches to clarify or rectify the problems on my own. Nevertheless, I cannot deny their importance because, they, hey, they helped me despite their respective problems.
1: So I'd like us to move to talking about um, some of the aspects of the text itself, Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Is there anything else, though, about um, the craft of translation as you um, undertook it for the book that you'd like to mention before we move on to talking about the components of the text?
2: You uh, Could you just... Uh, I missed sure. you. Uh,
1: oh, no, no, <laughs> no problem. I guess the question was, um, I've been asking you um, a bunch of things, right, about your work as a translator. Is mm-hmm. there anything um, I haven't yet asked you <laughs> about your work as a translator but that you think is important um,
2: to uh, Oh yeah. And, and the
1: answer could be no, right? But I yeah. just wanted to well, sure I give I, you a chance. Yeah.
2: To, uh, well, I, I can uh, perhaps talk about... Uh, the the principle that I uh, have uh, in choosing a certain uh, pre-modern text that, that, be might be be, yeah, yeah, that might be of interest to you because at first I was uh, kind of worried that if I translate a uh, certain uh, text how would it be received by the western readers I was so concerned about that uh, because I'm talking about, about uh, I'm going back to uh, 20 years ago At that time, just uh, uh, what I what I was doing was kind of the uh, the the never been attempted. So uh, I was very worried. So I uh, when I chose uh, my text, uh, the uh, first of all I thought about uh, how the text. Uh, how much text uh, can be relevant to modern times. Uh, Let me tell you uh, one of the anecdotes. uh, This has to do with uh, the start of my translating career. Back in 1997, uh, there was a so-called IMF crisis uh, occurred in uh, that took place in Korea. Uh, the Koreans never heard of it. Uh, okay, and one day I was going home after work, and uh, I caught got caught in a traffic jam, heavy traffic jam, and uh, uh, I turned on radio, and there was a debate between. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the finance minister and the, uh, the member of the opposition party about, uh, about this IMF crisis, national crisis at the time. And uh, they were blaming each other uh, the, for the cause of the crisis. And all of a sudden it occurred to me that, that this was the, exactly the situation of a Qing bureau that uh, the, later I translate the Book of Corrections uh, during the Im jin The book was written by the Prime Minister at the time, Yu sung who was in charge of the whole war, uh, the operations throughout the, uh, the crisis. And at uh, uh, that time... Uh, 400 years ago, the, when Hideyoshi invaded Korea, people didn't know who Hideyoshi was, why uh, uh, they were so much uh, they, uh, they confused and all. And when IMF uh, crisis took place, the Koreans didn't know what the IMF uh, stood for. They didn't quite understand there's uh, i found another parallel uh, situation uh, between now and then that uh, uh four hundred years ago uh, the um the uh what? anyway <laughs> I just momentarily lost. There's a certain parallelism, and I will later get back to you. And so immediately upon uh, arriving at home, I took out the book, the Ching Biro, and uh, translated the, the, the preface. Uh, the uh, into English the the preface is pretty short and not much long is a um, a little more than a page and when translated into English. I thought it was good to paraphrase the Genesis. Uh, uh, I was quite pleased and excited, but I wondered uh, uh, at the same time that when I translated the old uh, text, very difficult task, uh, how would that book would be received? So, uh, I try to justify, uh, f- try to find uh, some kind of justification for the trans- English translation of this important text. First, okay, if the, since this event uh, 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 is uh, the, the, not only the story of the 400 years, but that also the current story, uh, the, uh, which is recurring again and again is the story of a national crisis. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I figure that uh, the uh, since uh, because of the relevance, uh, I think that uh, people might be uh, the Western readers might be interested in it, mm-hmm. and uh, also that uh, the the story itself has a certain. Uh, uh universality the uh, national crisis uh, is a kind of experience that uh that uh, perhaps everyone uh, across the world uh, just uh, can have so uh, I figured that my translation uh, will stand uh, eventually, and uh, it turned out to be right. That the book was uh, well received more than I expected. Yeah,
1: that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, especially um, I'll just comment: uh, it's really interesting to hear because, as somebody uh, at least personally trained as a historian, we you know we talk a lot about the importance of. Um, studying the histories of certain topics mm-hmm. as they might inform contemporary debates or how we understand contemporary society and perhaps mm-hmm. how might we might understand the future, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't often, um, you know, bring into that conversation, or at least not um, in my experience, the importance of the parallel experience for translators, right? Mm-hmm. That not only understanding the history of the past, but also translating Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the documentary archive of the past is also really important in terms of how we understand the present. Uh, yeah, And so that's a very useful perspective to bring, in, and I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little, just a little bit about um, the book itself. Now, you mentioned, um, in, you talk in the translator's introduction to the book about the general introduction of the annals. Now, the general introduction of the annals is quite long and detailed. And in the translator's introduction, he mentioned that it's longer and more detailed than those found in the annals of subsequent rulers. So why is that, and why is that significant?
2: Well, the general introduction of Tejo was a brief biography of his younger days before he ascended the throne and founded a new dynasty. It's still long and detailed compared to his equivalents of his descendants. The reason I suppose has to do with the legitimacy of his new status as the king. In other words, the lengthy introduction provides all the information regarding his uncommon ability as a warrior and leader in a very difficult time of a national crisis, so as to prove how the mandate of heaven was given to him from the start and so forth.
1: So, in your opinion, um, and especially for readers who have not yet used this text, right, but for readers who might be interested in consulting it now that there's a reliable English translation, let's talk about, um, again, just a little bit, some of what um, readers might find in the text, Um, you know, some of the elements of the text that you might find particularly interesting um, having now translated translated it. So for you, what are some of the most important moments in the annals in terms of how we understand, um, for example, you know, foreign affairs or foreign relations? It's, it's a thing that's very, very important throughout the text. And you've already mentioned a little bit about um, understanding this in terms of the Yun and the Ming. but um, what are for you some of the most important things about the text in terms of how we, how it might inform how we understand Foreign
2: relations. I believe it all depends on the interest of individuals. The book has a tremendous range of diverse subjects and information. In my view, if anyone wants to know how a new dynasty is made, how it happened particularly in the late 14th century Korea, this text would be quite interesting more than anything else. As a rule, the historical texts of the countries that have long histories like China and Korea, the details in the records of their early history are often either too brief or too ambiguous. The annals of King Tezo in that sense is a very exceptional. The readers can clearly see what happened if they read a the book.
1: So are there any um, important... Um, elements of the text, um, aside from foreign affairs, right, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, that have to do with domestic history or urban history or any other kind of major topic that you think are, that you're particularly interested in or that you think make the book especially interesting?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, to appreciate the book, the readers may need to know first the general background of late Korea and early Chosun history. Many things are hidden behind the wars and records. Remember that historians or chroniclers have to be very careful about what they wrote. At the same time, I would like to point out that readers need to read the translation of the original source text if possible, not just the books explaining about the general history. Otherwise, they cannot know the real voice and speech of Korean people, especially their leaders and intellectuals. That's why the translation of Korean classics is important.
1: So Hyun, uh, thank you so much for making the time to talk with me today about this I think, really interesting and really important new translation um, that I think really uh, kind of opens up the possibilities for how we engage with not just Korean history as writers and researchers, but also as teachers. Is there anything else about the book um, and, you know, about any of the things that we've talked about that we didn't cover, but that you'd like to point out for listeners who may not yet have had the opportunity to read it?
2: Uh, let me talk about uh, uh, pre-modern Korean texts, uh, which um, which is still remain untranslated, unknown to the outside world. Uh, the uh, the annals of uh, the uh, the Joseon Dynasty, or what we call the veritable records and other important texts, Diaries of the Royal Secretary and the Diary of the the Self-Examination. Those texts each, uh, in the case of the Diaries of the Royal Secretary, amounts to 3,400 volumes and the uh, other texts uh, 2,400 volumes. It's so voluminous, it, uh, but they contain uh, so many informations, uh, virtually everything that concerns the Korean culture, history, and everything, uh, they need to be known to the outside world. Uh, they are all now registered in the UNESCO, Memory of the World, and so forth. But, so that's why I attempted at least uh, to translate uh, this analysis of King Tejo. Uh, so uh, the um, the uh, not only those texts, uh, there, there are many other interesting texts uh, belonging to the Korea period, or Three Kingdom period, not to mention the Chosen period. So uh, these days, Korea uh, has been known as the. Uh, a disseminator of a popular culture K-pop K-drama you know the whole Korean wave was and all those but in a certain sense they misrepresent uh, the the true genuine Korea in my view mm. so uh, so we need to have a more competent uh, translators for all this uh, the, uh, the uh, for translating all this important uh, Korean text
1: so now that the book is out and congratulations on the translation what's next for you uh, what are you currently working on um, what are you what's inspiring you right now
2: I've just finished translating another important and interesting book called Pukhagi. Uh, in, in English title would be Discourse on Northern Learning, uh, which was written by Park Jae-ga, uh, an 18th century Korean scholar. Uh, the book is about the author's awakening after seeing Qing China. Uh, Koreans used to hate and despise the Qing because Qing leadership originated from Jurchen uh, Manchus and toppled the Ming that helped the Joseon during the Japanese invasion to repulse the Japanese invaders. Uh, the Joseon Korea paid the tribute to Qing China, but with no respect or gratitude. And it's like that. Koreans thought the uh, Chinese then were now barbarians, and they had nothing to learn from that. Uh, but when Park Chagai and others visited the Beijing, that time Beijing was called the Yanjing, they were amazed to see the development and affluence of the Chinese society. As a result, they also calls for drastic reforms in all areas. So the book. Reveals certain interesting aspects of a chosen intellectual, especially their for reforms, need for international exchanges, and their unique worldviews, and so forth.
1: Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk with me. It's really been a pleasure. And again, congratulations on
0: the translation, and thank you so much for your hard work on that.
2: Yeah, it was a real pleasure talking to you.
0: You've been listening to new books in East Asian Studies. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.